Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. I had a blast sitting down with Ellie Short to record this episode on nutrition. Ellie is great company and incredibly knowledgeable about many topics related to food, including using holistic nutrition to help people discover their optimal health. After years of her own health struggles, Ellie found a way to take back her health simply by observing and modifying her diet. She had great mentors and her family is well stocked with healthcare professionals who greatly value food and its medicinal potential. Nutrition is not always a panacea, and Ellie still occasionally has flare-ups of symptoms, but by being conscientious of the food that she consumes, she is able to heed the messages that those symptoms are delivering and literally eat her way back to health. We talked about more than just her personal health struggles, as Ellie is a sought-after holistic nutritionist with a thriving practice under her company known as Whole Happy. She takes us into the scenario of what it is like to be a client of Whole Happy. From the thorough consultation and subsequent advice to potential chaperone grocery shopping trips and even pantry rating, she delivers a one-stop experience to her clients who are serious about creating abundant health. And by using her journalistic background, Ellie is passionate about disseminating nutritional knowledge far and wide. We also talk about the regular cooking classes that she offers at Victoria's prestigious cooking school, The London Chef. It was there where I met Ellie many years ago as she was teaching cooking to Pacific Rim College students in the Diploma of Holistic Nutrition, as she still does today. And as if Ellie is not immersed enough in the world of nutrition, last year she co-founded the local bistro Marta Cafe and Pantry. We talk about some of her struggles in getting a restaurant off the ground and the lessons she continues to learn from it. With her food knowledge and lifestyle philosophies, Ellie has a bounty to offer. I am confident this episode will give you a great deal of valuable information to chew on. Ellie Short, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate having you here and I'm excited to find out all the things that you have been up to in the world of nutrition because I know you have a lot on your plate pun intended. <laughs> and I really want to just kind of jump in and find out how the world of holistic nutrition has impacted you. So if you don't mind, let's let's go back a few years, decades, how nutrition became part of your life. Well, food has always been a part of my life. I have parents that are remarkable cooks. I have a family that loves eating together and Food has always been our love language. And so from an early age, I began a love affair with food. Um, And that kind of blossomed into a journalism career. After my undergrad, I went to a broadcast journalism program with the intention of being a gastronomic journalist. I wanted to write about food and talk about food. And I didn't even know that was a thing, a gastronomic journalist. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's the technical term, but a journalist within the umbrella I like of gastronomy. Yeah, yes. that's great. Um, I just had such a passion for it, and I wanted to share that information with the world um, and share other people's stories that were also in the food, the food circles. 
So after my broadcasting program, I took myself off to Paris and did a very short little culinary program, um, very traditional, uh, very classic French cooking. It was a life-changing experience on so many levels, and it really elevated my personal relationship with food, my love of food, and using that as a love language. Then when I came back to Victoria, um, I did write as a, I did work as a food writer for a little bit for Eat Magazine, um, but the food journalism options in Victoria were a bit limited. So I did go back to what my training was in TV news, and I worked as a TV reporter. Um, and I also did a lot of other freelancing things, kind of a grab bag of journalistic endeavors. During this time, my health started failing a little bit. I was still loving food, but the foods I was the foods I were eating weren't really loving me back. Did you, your family loved food? Was there a, a heritage or culture behind the foods that you were eating? Absolutely. Um, I am Jewish Okay. Um, on my mom's side. And so eating communally and celebrating food is a really big part of my cultural heritage. Um, my dad actually um, was born and raised in Olds, Alberta on a farm, like a true working farm. So he always taught within us this absolute love and appreciation for the land and where food comes from um, and himself is a fantastic cook so there definitely is this beautiful kind of combination of cultures and perspectives that my parents and my um, histories brought were you finding there were certain types of foods that weren't working well for you I think that I had began to start to explore that perspective. Um, both my parents were and are in healthcare. My dad's a physician. My mom was a nurse. Uh, my dad specifically is a retina specialist for diabetic retinopathy mm-hmm. and macular degeneration, but diabetic retinopathy specifically obviously deals with people with diabetes. So him being a remarkable practitioner always took a added interest in learning about foods and how it affects the body. And he actually really got into exploring the healing powers of foods and the not so healing powers of foods. And when he saw that my health was declining, I have to say, I think it was a combination of foods that I was eating that weren't right for my body, but also not paying attention to other lifestyle factors. Um, Journalism is a notoriously challenging industry for stress and sleep and pressure and all the things that can wreak havoc on your body. And I think that at the time too, I was also bartending on the weekends, um, which is not great for your your physical health. Um, So observing this and with his kind patients, um, as my health started to decline, he suggested that I look at the foods I was eating to help support me through this time. Simultaneously, my brother, who is now a naturopathic doctor, was at Bastyr College training for that. He also had some really kind and and very um, non-invasive recommendations for me. And the combination of the love and support of my family and then my own personal curiosity in food in general helped me feel really comforted and looking towards that as an option for healing. I'd say it's somewhat remarkable that your father as a physician is so drawn to food as medicine because it's typically not part of the Western medical paradigm. So it's it's incredible to hear that he's using that and and was so, it sounds like he was incredibly influential in your life and in your career. Absolutely. My dad is a very special and very unique doctor. Um, 
he is an absolute inspiration for me and I think a really great window into the allopathic sphere. Um, he's been really incredible at sharing with me the problems of medical training in that world and how nutrition and food and other um, health practices are discussed in maybe not a very proactive and preventative way. Um, and he has taken it upon himself to explore different ways of looking at health and wellness within within the frame of his practice, of mm. course. Um, he's an avid scientist and um, a remarkable researcher. And he just, I think, has a very balanced approach to everything. And I find something so inspiring in my relationship with him and his way of practicing is it's shown me that there is a really great opportunity to work with all different types of medical spheres, um, whether that is holistic, allopathic, um, you know, functional, whatever term you want to use, we're all trying or hopefully all trying to accomplish the same thing. And there is a way to, to work together. Tell us a bit about what struggles you were having with your health, if you don't mind. Absolutely. It started at a very young age, and I think that it just kind of came to um, ultimate fruition in, in my mid-20s when all this was happening. Um, digestive issues was a huge thing. Uh, gas, bloating, cramping, um, irregular bowel movements, you know, the, the whole happy family of digestive issues. Um, but at this time, too, I was experiencing increasing fatigue and weakness, um, extreme emotional highs and lows. Uh, you know, now looking back, obviously the classic signs of um, adrenal fatigue and um, other kind of hormonal imbalances that were occurring as a result. But the the digestive issues and then of course the um, mental, emotional and energetic manifestations of that were really coming to a head. And there were definitely days where like getting out of bed felt like the hardest task in the world. I was in my mid twenties. You'd think that I would have the most energy and resilience in my life. And I definitely felt very defeated. I also felt defeated with some of the options I was exploring. I would go to different practitioners in the allopathic sphere and, you know, say, I, I'm not, this is not right. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And we get blood work done. And I constantly kept hearing, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to take it easy. You're just working too much. And I became increasingly frustrated with that kind of dead end answer. I, there, there had to be more. And that's when I started discovering that if I started tweaking what I was eating, it was like my world changed. Colors were brighter and my energy came back and my digestive uh, issues started to subside. And other things that I didn't even realize that I was suffering from because I had normalized it so much began to um, really shift and change. I was so inspired by this uh, this evolution. Um, I was talking about it a lot with people and in the journalistic world, uh, people were asking me to write about it or to report about it. And then I kind of stopped and I was like, wait, this is one of the things that I don't like about media is you have a bunch of people that don't know about a certain topic, pretending to be experts, disseminating very potentially harmful information to the mass audience. And I thought, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take this fork in my journalistic career, I need to get some expert training. I also was just so inspired by my journey. I wanted to share that with others that um, by speaking with my brother and by speaking with my father and my mother and everyone else that was working in healthcare, I felt really inspired to go back to school to get my training as a nutritionist and see where that would take me. Good for you. It is remarkable 
how much food does impact us in our youth. And I grew up and I didn't even know what organic food was growing up. And it's not because I grew up with farm fresh food. It was all grocery store packaged food. And I, I used to work at restaurants. And I recall when I was 16, driving 20 minutes to my job, there were days I had to pull over and take a nap. And that was my biggest challenge with food is that I was on such sugar highs most of the time that I would crash. And because no one in my family had any knowledge about how food can help, nobody knew that there was anything wrong with it. My mom used to always just tell me to take a nap. Go take a nap. You're cranky. Go take a nap. And then I would wake up. And of course, when I wake up, I'm hungry. So I would eat and then I would be fine. So I always just associated when I'm tired or cranky, I'll take a nap. And when I wake up, I'll be fine. But eventually I came to realize it was not when I woke up, I was fine. But when I woke up and ate, then things were better. And still to this day, I struggle with, with of course, crashes. Um, but I, I now know exactly what they are. I feel them coming on early and I can deal with them. So it's incredible that you had the resources to piece together the link between your struggles and your nutrition and were able to be very proactive with it. Tell us a bit about your education. Yes, of course. So when I was exploring different nutritional programs, um, I looked, I'm a, I'm so type A. So of course I researched every single one I possibly could. Um, and I was asking my brother, I, I had, I'd wanted to actually do an American one partially because a lot of the requests I was getting to write stories about nutrition and food were coming from my clients in the U S so different magazines and, and publications, um, in, in the States. Um, my brother was training at Bastyr. He's actually American randomly. He was born in Iowa. So he was training in Bastyr and he was asking some of his colleagues what program they'd recommend. I, I wanted to do one, uh, by distance. Um, I had already established some pretty deep roots in Victoria. My then fiance, now husband was really establishing roots as well. So I didn't feel really like I wanted to move away again. I had already done a lot of that, but, um, he recommended this program. It was short. Um, it was only a year, um, but it was very comprehensive and very in depth and it provided what I felt like I needed for the next steps. Um, obviously holistic in in approach, but it was very deep rooted in, um, science and in-depth study of biology and physiology. And also what was a really interesting aspect of the program is it had a very deep rooted um, practical training aspect. So I really did get throughout the program some good hands-on experience working with practice clients and learning about the client practitioner process, which was something that I hadn't anticipated I'd love so much. I had gone into this really thinking it was just going to be um, something to support my journalistic career. And then I, I saw um, an amazing opening to really extend that to some some areas that I hadn't fully explored previously. And so much has manifested as a result of that now in your career. And your entire career has blossomed around food. What led you away from the journalism to focus more on food? A few things. I think one, I was getting increasingly frustrated with the media industry. Um, Some ethically and morally challenging approaches to storytelling um, and, and a lack of integrity that I saw run as a common thread throughout um, 
a lot of different areas in the industry. Of course, when you're talking about like what restaurant you should go to, you don't see that as much. But I was noticing that a lot in the news portion of of my career. Um, So I was feeling an increasing uh, distance with that industry and, and just really not jiving with it. But I also was feeling really empowered in the opportunity to help people on an individual level. The more I learned about food and nutrition specifically, the more I realized that it's such a bio-individual process that of course there's some really great overarching themes that are so important for all of us to be educated on. And if that could be um, incorporated into our mainstream education, that would be fantastic. But I was also recognizing that to really make some serious impact and change in people's lives, working one-on-one with them was a really awesome avenue for that. And I felt really inspired in that um, process while I was just having to participate in the program. I had to work with practice clients and I had to learn about the client practitioner process. And I really was, I was very intrigued by it. What if any health struggles did you find journalism was either causing or aggravating? Oh goodness. All of them. (laughs) Uh, I think that I, I absorb everything around me. I'm such a sponge. I'm such an empath. So when I was doing tough stories on people dealing with heartbreak and loss, um, I absorbed that. But then simultaneously, I'd have a call from my news director asking me to get people to cry on camera and really trying to, you know, get the clip and get the headline. And it felt very backwards to what I had gone into journalism to do. Um, so the that emotional aspect, of course, as you know, is terrible for your physical form. Um, I think my poor little adrenal glands and my cortisol levels were all over the place. And of course, the subsequent symptoms and health frustrations that occur. Was that. It, was there a tipping point that you decided you were done with journalism or was it a, a slow migration over to the nutrition side? It was it was slow. I, I had left the news industry to work as a um, managing editor of an online publication. And simultaneously, I was doing a lot of freelance work. Um, but this was completely happening alongside my own wellness journey. So I think that, and I still, I should, I should say, I still do a lot of journalism things now. I still do copywriting and I still write articles and sometimes they're not nutrition or food based. Um, I love writing. I love information sharing. It will always be a part of me, but um, there was definitely an organic transition um, into more focused nutrition practice. And that came from, I would say, just going to school and learning what the possibilities were, were within the nutrition field. I didn't really realize how much opportunity there was as a holistic nutritionist um, and what that could look like as a career. It wasn't taught to me in high school. I didn't take that in my undergrad. I didn't know that that was a possibility. And I think that that's changing, of course. I think there's a lot greater awareness about all the many facets of the holistic wellness industry and how you can make that a career and make money from it, which is important. Um, so I think that it happens slowly but steadily. And um, I kind of, I'm a little bit of an opportunist. When things come my way, I just say yes. And I just see where that goes. Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Um, and I just said yes to going back to school. And I just said yes to working with clients. And I just said yes to doing workshops. And I just said yes to doing cooking classes. And it just kind of kept blossoming into what it is now, which is an absolute grab bag of, of uh, elements that make up my business. 
and I do want to get into your business in just a few minutes. I, I want to comment on the the expansion of holistic nutrition as you were just kind of speaking of and I don't remember when we launched our school of holistic nutrition at Pacific Rim College but I can certainly see over the last half a decade or maybe it's been a decade the changes in the industry have been remarkable and now the number of people who are requesting online opportunities which is something we're we're in the process of developing it's it's incredible and I I think it's just a a sign of the general trend in society that people are no longer, I would like to think the majority of people are no longer as I and my family were when I was growing up, which means completely ignorant and oblivious of food. And it's now becoming more and more part of the fabric of good health, which is so important as, as you know. Absolutely. When did you go to Paris? Was that before you, your nutrition schooling or yes. after? It was right after I finished my broadcast journalism program. And what was that study like for you? Everything. It like <laughs> was truly one of the greatest times in my life. Um, I. How long were you there? I wasn't there for very long. I was just there for a couple months. And that's great. Um, but it was it was very in depth and very intense and very enriching. Um, I had actually wanted to do a year long course, but I had this wonderful person I was dating at the time who was yearning for me to return and I don't regret that at all so I kind of um I did their shorter program instead and came back home and that person has now since turned into my husband so it all worked out (laughs) (laughs) but um it was it was a great launch pad for me I think it gave me a respect and appreciation for the culinary arts um I must emphasize I am not like a red seal chef I, I, I'm not, um, it, it was a very, very specific little course just on f- traditional French foods, cheese, wine. Um, we even learned about like traditional table settings, but it was so remarkable in that it gave me a respect for food, um, on a different level that I had before and a respect for, um, the rich history of of cooking in different parts of the world. So one of the biggest um, anchors of my practice is not inflicting a one-size-fits-all on people. For some people, there are certain foods that are really harmful to their bodies, but other people, they can be really beautiful in their own right. Um, And also not just what we're eating, but how we're eating it. Um, French culture and the way people in France eat um, with joy and with passion and with abundance um, it is remarkably healing. A lot of the, t- a lot of times you hear people say, oh, my symptoms went away when I was on vacation and when I was in Italy and France and eating bread and all these things that normally are really hard for my body to process. Um, I think actually now there's some in-depth research going on to see why this is the case because it is, it is so common. But I think a lot of it is just slowing down, enjoying the people around you and the conversations that you're having while you're eating, savoring the flavors, um, really allowing food to be the process, allowing it to be the culture and inhabiting that space with just pure joy and no shame and no guilt. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, it's something that I hear the same thing and experience the same thing that you said, uh, especially in traveling to Europe. In my youth, 
dinners and mealtimes, it wasn't anything to be celebrated. It sounds like you came from a very different background, but now in raising my kids and with my family, we sit down for every meal together and we always have, and it's just not something that we would consider eating in any other way. You know, many argue that it is more important how you eat than what you eat. Whenever I work with clients, the first little bit of homework, so to speak, I give them is after our initial consultation and there's so much information and sometimes I see their faces and they're just feeling like, how can I tackle all this? I say, start with just how you eat, not what you eat. And let's just work on that for a little bit. That's great advice. But it is hard. It's very hard. And often people find that's harder than changing what they're eating is changing their approach and their relationship with food. And that's a whole other conversation, of course. Um, And there are amazing experts in the field. That's all they work on. But I think that in some cultures around the world, that's ingrained from an early age. And I think that lays a beautiful pathway for um, ongoing and, and dynamic relationships with food, which sometimes seem really halted and stunted in North American discourse. And there's so many different degrees that one can one can uh, take when trying to change how they eat. I recall when I was in my early 20s, I spent probably a week in a Buddhist monastery in Sri Lanka, and mealtimes were silent, and we were not allowed to even think about the next bite until we had fully finished chewing, swallowing, savoring, and delighting in in the previous bite. And it's something that to this day I try to do and I succeed about 1% of the time, maybe not even that much, <laughs> but I can certainly see the value in that. Not, not thinking ahead, not racing into the next thing because that's so much of our, our culture and our mentality is what's next, what's next, and, and taking the time just to savor the food and enjoy it. It can be so nourishing for the body. Absolutely. And I think in a a remarkable practice for any wellness goal, focus on one thing at a time and really give yourself to that um, and be patient with that process. Because often I see this with um, my clients and other people on their wellness journeys. They're thinking about the next thing they're going to do before they even finish working on the, the task at hand. And that can be a very tormenting cycle to get into. Mm. Now, I think I first met you when my daughter, who was probably three at the time, we were taking a cooking class along with our students in our Diploma of Holistic Nutrition program at the London Chef, which still is today our our teaching campus for our college uh, with Dan Hayes and, and the wonderful team at the London Chef. You taught some of the classes in that nutrition course that the students were doing, and it was incredible. I really appreciated the insights that you were able to deliver to the class. And to this day, cooking and teaching cooking classes is still very much part of what you do, isn't it? Absolutely. For me, it's the ultimate um, harmony of all my passions and skills. Being able to talk about food, share food, taste the food, but then also interweave elements so that food can really serve you and really give back. Um, I think that there's unfortunately... And I think it's changing, but there has been, unfortunately, a concept that healthy food doesn't taste good or healthy food is boring or healthy food is laborious. There's all these, you know, ideas that it's just, it's not approachable and, um, and manageable and enjoyable. But I think for me, 
if I could do one thing in this world, it's to help people realize that nutrient-dense whole foods from nature is the way to eat. That's how humans have thrived for thousands of years, and that's how we will continue to thrive. And by cooking in a fun and enjoyable environment and sharing those foods with people around you or yourself, absolutely, you can still have a beautifully abundant meal in the quiet solitude of of your own company. But I think that just making food more fun and making it work a little harder for you so that every single bite is not only delicious, but is packed with things that are going to help your body thrive. That's the ultimate goal. And that is all encompassed in a space of um, a cooking class environment to be able to share information with people and then experience that with them is such a gift. I'm honored and adore teaching classes to the Pacific Rim students. It is one of the greatest joys in my career. Are you still teaching some of the cooking yes, classes? Yes. Yeah. I just I taught a couple um, in January. Oh, that's great. Uh, oh my goodness. Such a great group. Such a wonderful, like I said, it's a gift to me. I absolutely love it. That's great to hear. What is Whole Happy? And can you tell us a bit how it came about and where you're going with it? Whole Happy is the name I gave to my business. Um, it really is, a, I think I said before, a collision of ideas for a couple of reasons. One, a collision or a collusion? <laughs> both. both. <laughs> both. <laughs> Sometimes very much a like crash collision. Um, no, it's, it's two reasons why my, my business is quite diverse. Um, I should say, so I work with clients one-on-one. Um, I teach classes, whether that's cooking classes or other wellness classes. Um, the cooking classes are always at the London chef. Um, I have gone into people's homes and done private classes there. Um, I love doing workshops and lectures and things that are, um, are information based, but then I also absolutely love creating content and sharing that with, uh, the mass public on my blog or on my social media. I think at the heart of it, it's, it's a whole happy is a sphere of information sharing, whether that's one-on-one or in groups, whether that's in person or online. Um, that's where my kind of roots as a journalist, I think, come back in. And also my passion for food and food as my love language to, to be able to share that with people in as many ways as I can is, is a gift and a joy. But also from a business standpoint, I have found that diversification has been my um, absolute surviving force. I think that what happens sometimes, especially in a smaller market like Victoria, if you're only focused on one small aspect of a business, sometimes you're limiting yourself in growth, uh, whether that's revenue or in scope of practice. So I really have diversified both to survive and to also be able to um, share as much as I can with as many people as I can. You do offer an impressive host of services from consulting, personal cooking, writing, workshops, cooking classes, and more, I presume. How did Whole Happy come about? Was it something that you had conceived as a as the full picture? Or did you slowly start to work your way into it? Throughout my program, we worked with practice clients, exploring the notion of working one-on-one with people, not just writing and creating content that was nutrition and food focused. 
So then when I graduated, I kept a lot of those clients. My practice clients turned into real clients and they started referring me out. And then because my voice was getting a little bit louder in the media sphere, the social media sphere, I was getting approached for workshops and classes and things like that. So a lot of it just started happening really organically. And I decided from a business standpoint, it would make sense to put it under an umbrella term or a name or a title or or a company. And that's why I picked Whole Happy. I decided to give it that name because I was recognizing even at the early stages that it wasn't a specific thing. It was a feeling. I wanted whoever I worked with, whether, like I said, that was individual or on a wider scale, to help discover what happiness feels like and not just like smiling all the time and skipping and jumping. I think there's a huge misconception with that name of my business that I think that everyone should be happy all the time or happiness is a a specific goal. It's a fluid thing. It's up and down and it is colored by not feeling great too. It's an important um, process, not, not an end state. But I was recognizing that what would be really, what would, what would I want if the whole world felt a certain way? And that was to feel as best as you possibly can from your head to your toe and your inside out, that things weren't just um, broken down into their parts, but looked at, of course, in a holistic way. So that's where that name kind of came about. It took me a very long time to come up with a name. I, I really, I really grappled with it. But like I said, and like everything else in my career, it happened organically. It happened a little bit slowly and one foot in front of the other. I had a business and I had a website and I started having clients and things just really solidified. And now I'm, I guess, four years later, um, it feels like a bit more of a, a cohesive space. I love that philosophy. And in particular, what you said, that it's not a specific name, that a feeling that you were looking for. That is such a wonderful approach to running a business, especially a business that is in service to others, which I guess most businesses are, but this is a, a clear service to helping others find their happiness. What does one-on-one coaching or consulting look like with you? So if someone, when someone reaches out to me, um, I first, I mean, this is, I'm like very, like, this is very specific. So I will send them intake forms to fill out, um, a basic intake form, a food journal. And then I have an online symptom-based questionnaire that they fill out for me. Um, it seems like a lot of work prior to our initial consultation, but one thing I found in my own wellness journey and one thing that I've heard from many people is often initial consultation um, it's just a series of questions. The practitioner is like, so when it, like they're asking a lot of really basic questions and before you know it, your hour's up and you don't feel like you gained any insight or knowledge or tools for your journey. You just feel like you were given 20 questions and okay, well now we have to book the next ses- session for you to learn anything. I understand that nutrition is, and especially um, for people that don't have healthcare coverage, it's a big investment. So I always want to give the most worth to my clients with every single session. So I do a lot of the back-end work. They do a lot of the work, of course, filling out the forms. And then I spend a lot of time um, reflecting on their answers and their goals and their concerns so that when we finally do meet, we're able to have a really thorough conversation that helps them really feel some clarity and some inspiration um, on those next steps. And then the next steps sometimes are meal plans, subsequent follow-ups. Uh, we'll go to a grocery store together and I'll help them find um, 
better ways to shop for their wellness goals. Some people even have me come into their house and we look at their pantry together and and really talk about some of the things that they're stocking their shelves with and how they can um, find more nutrient-dense options. Um, so that's kind of the the client process that I, I do. Um, that initial consultation, of course, is the most information-heavy session. Um, I do create um, a blueprint um, for all my clients, like a nutritional recommendations document that's based on that initial con- conversation um, that we kind of work from. And like we said moments ago, it's not about doing everything all at once. It it serves as kind of a map, um, uh, an anchor point for their ongoing journey, which is never linear and sometimes has ups and sometimes has downs. And we work on that together. Um, and I'm there to help people feel inspired to be their own wellness advocate so that they can feel more autonomous in their decisions so they can help decode the information their body's giving them. Um, I want them to feel empowered. I'm not there to just tell them, do this, do that. I'm there to help them find the answers themselves with obviously expert guidance. In my experience, many people refrain from seeking nutritional guidance, especially from a holistic nutritionist because they're actually afraid of what they're going to learn and hear and find out that they should and should not be doing. What are some of the bite-sized recommendations that you potentially would give to a client to help? We already talked about change how you eat, not what you eat. Are there other things that you give them that are just tiny steps that they can take on the way to having better nourishment? I think at the base of it, it's understanding. I think when we understand our bodies, we understand why they're doing what they're doing. We understand our history and our lineage and our ancestry. When we understand that our bodies are just doing the best they can to survive and we start creating a space, like I said, of forgiveness, of patience, of mutual benefit and communication. I think the path to greater healthfulness is a better relationship with ourselves and our bodies to learn that our symptoms aren't pesky things that we want to quash with pills and, and quick fixes that it's our body crying for help. It's just so important to understand that. Absolutely. Symptoms are just our body communicating. And I think when people are given the tools to decipher that information and feel empowered in it, I think all the other things like don't eat this, do eat that, or, you know, include these herbs or supplements into your diet, things that might feel daunting to people don't feel as daunting because they're doing it in a space of love. Um, the way we would love and care for a friend or a family member, you start loving and caring for your body because it becomes it becomes your beloved, it becomes your friend and you work together. And I think that the first conversations about healing, like I said, really should be about understanding and and forgiveness, letting go of guilt and shame and preconceived notions and stories. I think we spend a lot of our lives telling ourselves stories. Our parents tell us stories. Our friends and our family members tell us stories. And when we can break down the walls of the problematic stories, oh, I can't survive without a coffee in the morning. Oh my God, I would never, ever give up bread. Like It's my favorite thing in the world. These, these things we say out loud that create definitions of who we are, they're not who we are. Who we are is this ever-evolving entity that was given the gift of life and I think that appreciating that and honoring that are the first steps to overcoming any of those other things that seem impossible and challenging. I love that you brought that up. I actually just finished recording 
Joshua Hathaway, who's a bit of a communications expert. I'll be publishing that one probably shortly after this podcast. And he emphasizes the distinguishing between your story and fact and realizing that the facts are very different from your narrative and trying to step away from your narrative and looking at the facts can give an entirely different picture of what reality is. But so often, well, almost 100% of the time, we live within our own head, within our own story. And it's not very hard to change that story if you become conscious of it. Absolutely. What are, I'm gonna put you on the spot with some of your, your clinical results here. What are some tremendous healing results that you've seen in patients? Oh goodness, so many. This is what I love most about this as a career is it is so rewarding for everyone involved. It's such a, it really is. I keep saying the word gift. It is, it's a gift. I feel so honored that I get to do what I do. One really important um, experience that comes to mind is a client that I had that came to me um, with MS. MS runs in my family too. It was a really important thing for me to work on with this client. I felt really connected to this. Um, And she had been given kind of a a very um, sad and deterring prognosis from her primary care physician. Um, So she just was exploring ways that maybe she could regain. She felt very helpless. She wanted to explore ways she could feel more autonomous. Um, So we actually started working on her diet. Within the framework of the Walls Protocol, I don't know if you're familiar with Terry Walls. No, I'm not. She is also an amazing story. Somebody who, um, a doctor who overcame um, very, very um, serious MS um, with diet alone. Um, It's amazing. Anybody listening to this, look up Terry Walls. Uh, She's a very important person. I just want to underscore that basically curing or at least being able to live very well with MS through diet alone, through nutrition. Yes. I'm getting goosebumps even just hearing you say that back to me. Look this up. It's very important for everyone, no matter what your wellness struggles are, to look at how people can overcome what is, they are told categorically, you will die, you will decline, you will not be able to have a rich life. Mm -hmm. And to say, I don't buy that. I'm not giving into that. I'm going to rewrite my story. I'm going to look at it and I'm going to become my own wellness advocate and regain autonomy. I think it's a really important thing for all of us to, to observe. I think it was 16 or more years ago that one of my best friends was diagnosed with MS and he at the time was one of the best runners in the country. And today he still is one of the best runners in the country. And it's something that he struggled with it at times but he eats a very clean diet and he's very conscious of, of how what he puts in his body affects him. And he's, he's uh, a master's runner now and is in his late 40s and he's setting national records everywhere. Wow. These are such important stories for us to hear and share, um, especially when we're feeling hopeless. So this patient I was working with, she was given a very grave di- a diagnosis and, and projection in her her so I should say she was in her mid to late twenties when we started working together. So young, um, active, um, a practitioner herself, an RMT. Her body was her work, and and she 
was actually quite health aware. She had really beautiful lifestyle and wellness practices already integrated. But we looked at doing something a little bit more comprehensive, a little bit more focused, specifically with the framework of multiple sclerosis. Um, and then, like I said, with the WALS protocol in mind, um, obviously tweaked to her individual, her bio-individual needs. Um, and she was great. She went right for it. She did it with such openness and um, diligence and kindness to herself. And throughout our time together, she went back to get updates done and her readings done. And basically her doctor was like, I am seeing no signs of MS in your body anymore. And she cried and she couldn't wait to call me. And this was just, I'm not kidding you, a few months of working together. Um, she is thriving and she is, this is obviously something she's going to navigate her whole life. Um, but to have such remarkable results when somebody told her there's nothing you can do about this. She said, I don't buy that. I'm going to, I'm going to try. And it worked. And she's just absolutely this vibrant, incredible creature. And she's doing so well. My goosebumps are mine now. Thank you for that story. What, if any, is your favorite facet of whole happy? What would you be, what could you do? day in and day out and and be overjoyed with oh man I love so I love all the different facets and how they work with each other and how they complement each other um I love working with clients I absolutely love it I love working with people that want to change of course it can be really frustrating when somebody approaches me and they say they want to find healthfulness but they really don't. They want to, just a quick fix. But we work together and we work through that and that can be equally, if not more rewarding as well. I do, coming back full circle to the journalism thing though, I love information sharing. Whether that is creating recipes and telling people why, or telling people, sharing with people why those recipes are not just delicious, but nutrient dense and uplifting. I love educating people about um, sustainability and food mindfulness. So I think if I could do one, if I had to pick one thing, I think it would be the content creation. And I just want to emphasize the spectacular job you do with that. Your blog is amazing. Your website is amazing. And it's very clear in reading your work that you have such a deep passion for what you're writing about. And it makes it so much more impactful as a reader to, to take that information in. Thank you so much. That really, really means a lot. What have you been working on most or somewhat lately? I know there's been some new ventures for you. Yeah. So about a year ago, I, um, with a partner, opened a cafe. Um, and that Just has... a small thing, right? <laughs> Just opening up a restaurant. Absolutely no small feat. It What's has, it called? It's called Marta, M-A-R-T-A. And it's in um, a cute little neighborhood in Victoria called Oakland's. Um, Where's the name come from? It is my partner's grandmother's name. And uh, and not only, of course, is this a very special person to my business partner, but when I met her, I felt um, really inspired by her story as well. Um, it's just, it's, it is a small little cafe. I know that anytime you open any restaurant or food-based business, it is a remarkable um, feat, but it it's a really quaint and lovely space. Um, it's not a health food cafe. It really has more roots in European sentiments, actually more French and other European cuisine. Um, it's 
kind of become a little community hub. And that's been really rewarding for me to be a part of and to see. Um, and of course it's, it's, it's thriving now and I'm able to, um, explore the other aspects of my business again and, and see how they all fit together. That's so exciting. Congratulations on that. What were some of the biggest challenges in getting a cafe open and some of the biggest successes and victories? Oh man, that's a very big question and an important question. Some of the challenges at the beginning were working with the city actually. And I know that this is a tired story and people always say that, but permitting and licensing and feeling like everyone says that they want more community hubs and they want more young women in business and they want more um, sustainable food restaurants. But then when you actually start putting the pieces together, you're hitting roadblocks every turn of the way. So that was definitely daunting and challenging, um, but you triumph and you work through it and it makes the the end goal that much sweeter. I think some of the other issues or, or concerns or problems or challenges, whatever you want to call it, that have come up for me over this process is being somebody as a, in the food industry in another way as a nutritionist and somebody who is a big advocate for um, sustainable and ethical practices um, and, and food system mindfulness and learning how it's a really hard it's a really hard challenge to integrate that into the confines of the food system in our restaurant sphere. So that's been a really eye-opening and humbling experience for me is just learning how to balance the two aspects of my myself, the business-minded aspect, and then also the, the side of me that just wants to share food with everybody and have that food be just so pure and so beautiful. Um, and I think we found a really good balance with that. Um, but it, it definitely is an ongoing, um, an ongoing journey. Just want to back up a, a bit and this is I guess, somewhat related to a cafe and, and providing food for community. You mentioned when you were doing, when you do one-on-one consulting that sometimes you take people to the grocery store and you shop with them. How do you find time to do that? And what does that look like? Well, it's just an hour session. <laughs> um, and we do schedule it to make sure that it fits with their schedule, of course, as well as mine. Um, so what we do is usually that's that's come after prior sessions. So we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, they've already usually received a meal plan or some kind of meal guideline at this point. So there is already some framework there. Um, and then we walk through the aisles together. They tell me what they normally get and I either you know, give them really great kudos as to why that's wonderful and great. Or I provide some kind alternatives that might be a little bit more um, nutrient dense and might better serve their wellness goals. Um, We obviously talk a lot about sticking to the outer rims of the grocery store and trying to stay away as best as we can from the um, overly processed foods. But then I also, a huge, huge part of my practice, and I really need to emphasize is, I think that a misconception people have about working with a nutritionist, at least some, is that you're going to be going from whatever you're doing now to some kind of like, you know, transcendent space of only eating salads and smoothies. Firstly, salads and smoothies aren't the health most helpful option for everyone. I don't think that there's one way to eat that's more healthy than others. But I also think that I 
it's important as a practitioner, so whoever's listening that's a practitioner, it's important to meet people where they're at and recognize that small triumphs are really what amount to greater goal achievement. Um, sometimes when people have gotten to the state of being a holistic practitioner, they have done so much work themselves that they've forgotten what it feels like at the beginning. They've forgotten that switching from you know, having craft dinner for, on a regular basis to having a fully homemade meal with all sorts of nutrient dense ingredients is such a huge leap. So maybe the first step is just finding a bit of a healthier option, even in the packaged food sphere. So there's lots of steps along the way and the grocery store tour is a really great um, conduit for that conversation is to find a happy medium, um, a way to evolve with where people are at push them outside their comfort level a little bit because that's where we see growth but being really patient and kind and understanding that we all come from different backgrounds and what might seem really easy for some people is an absolute torment to others what are some small recommendations kind of uh, almost universal recommendations that you could give to the listeners on maybe some common misconceptions with what uh, perhaps we're eating that really isn't as doing as much for us as what we thought or what we're missing out on. Is there anything, any advice you could give? The first thing that comes to mind is don't overcomplicate things. I think sometimes when people are starting to venture into the nutrition health food sphere. They're following bloggers and influencers that are putting all sorts of seeds and sprinkles and all sorts of magical potions and everything they're eating and they're using ingredients they've never heard of. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I've said this phrase a few times intentionally because I think this is a really good mantra to keep at heart is nutrient dense whole foods from nature. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to be making wild, wondrous crazy things you can just be keeping it really simple eating with the seasons and all the rest everything that follows is your individual body so if we're eating you know vegetables and fruits and properly cultivated proteins and and things like that i think that it doesn't really matter how it how it transpires if you keep it simple and you don't overthink it i think that could really help make nutrition feel a bit more approachable to people. Sometimes it's taking the things that you already love and just finding a more nutrient-dense version of it. And you may find that you even like it better that way. What are some of your favorite foods or meals? That's a mean question. I love food so much. I love everything. I eat pretty simply at home. Uh, lots of roasted vegetables and simple salads and... Um, you know, I love doing like a big roast chicken with all sorts of herbs and things like that. Um, that's so tough, man. Didn't mean to put you on the spot, but uh, I did. I do keep things pretty simple, like I said. Just vegetables, meat. I, oh, actually, I really love to bake. A little like, side obsession of mine in my whole happy sphere is alt baking. 
alternative baking. Okay, what is that? It is the book to come, everybody. Just hold on. <laughs> um, I love experimenting with different ingredients um, from traditional, um, from the traditional. So for two reasons. One, so that people with dietary considerations can still enjoy um, a cake on their birthday or a treat for a special occasion um, and not have their body absolutely crippled in pain from that experience. So whether that is grain-free or dairy-free or obviously refined sugar-free things. But not only do I love finding the alternative ingredients to make those foods more approachable to as many people as possible, I also think that sometimes in the traditional food sphere, this will come back to my kind of time in Paris and and other experiences as a food journalist and being in the food world, I think sometimes that overemphasis on a traditional ingredient, and I don't mean traditional like ancestral, I mean like only using white flour and white sugar, it actually limits our ability as a cook. Sometimes almond flour will actually make a dish or um, a, like a baked good taste a lot better. Sometimes the combination of cassava and coconut is actually more what you're looking for in a textural standpoint than just using refined white flour. Sometimes maple syrup or honey will add a flavor profile to whatever you're making that is so much more nuanced and delightful than refined sugar. So there's the combination of finding ingredients that are approachable to people with different dietary considerations and protocols. But then there's also the side that is like the food scientist side of me that's like, you know what, I actually think these combinations and these tools are going to have a better outcome. So that's actually one of my favorite things in the world to make and experiment with in my own home kitchen is um, alternative baking. And I know you mentioned earlier that Marta, your cafe is is more based on European cuisine, but are any of these experiments that you're describing coming to to the, the countertop at Marta at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's definitely things there for people with all sorts of dietary considerations. Um, at the heart of the menu there, it's supporting local. Um, we, have, we work with so many wonderful partners, uh, Two Rivers Meats, Avalon Dairy, um, our produce, many of which comes from the island, um, when we can, um, you know, we love, we love supporting other businesses, especially ones that have, um, sustainable and ethically mindful practices. Um, and there are of course ingredients and dishes there that suit a variety of dietary needs and tastes and flavors. What's the dining experience like for someone? It's very casual. It's counter service. So it is kind of like a cafe bistro environment, um, so you come up to the counter, you order, you sit in your little space. It's small, it's quaint, it's cozy. Um, we've tried to create kind of a home away from home vibe there. We talked earlier about your cooking classes that you teach at the London Chef. And just for listeners, the London Chef is a premier cooking school here in Victoria. It is a beautiful place run by Dan and Michaela Hayes. What are some of your upcoming cooking journeys at the London Chef? You bet. Well, in a week, I'm doing um, my OG class, So Long Sugar. It's been going on for four years now. Um, And that is a carb-conscious approach to cooking. Um, So for people that are are wanting to reduce their sugar intake for any reason, um, 
whether that is mood or energy or they've got some other health complications and they're really wanting to take a serious look at how carbs are sneaking into their diet in places where they don't necessarily have to be. So that's coming up in a week. We've been doing that class for a long time. It's a notoriously um, popular class. Um, And then I've got a class coming up um, in March that is, let me try to keep it straight. Oh, that one is a plant-based class. So we're looking at kind of different nutrient-dense plants, how you can incorporate them into a meal um, and and have that um, serve your body as best as it can. We explore in that class different kind of arms of plant-based eating, whether that's vegetarian, vegan, um, pescatarian, just ways that people focus on plants in their diet, um, but within the framework of bioindividuality. And then a class we have coming up in April is actually a new one we haven't done before. It is um, all about, it's called Healthy at Home, and it's all about how to create nutrient-dense comfort foods um, in your own home kitchen um, with a bit of a meal prep focus. So like, not that we're doing a bunch of meal prep in the class, but recipes that work really well for having leftovers and maybe freezing and having um, at another time for people that have, like so many of us, very dynamic schedules. Um, a huge challenge people often face is finding time to cook and prepare in a loving way. Often it feels very rushed and stressed. So that's that class. And then we're actually looking at some other classes that we're going to probably do in May, maybe June. Um, All of my classes are very home cooking focused though. They're all really simple recipes with simple ingredients, things that are really, really easy for people at any skill level to to do. How can local listeners sign up for one or all of those? classes few different ways you can go directly to the london chef website i'll put that in the show notes absolutely and then also um i regularly post about all my classes workshops special events on my instagram account which is at ellie short with two t's i'm very active there and i love um sharing things with people there and i always have links posted that people can go directly to sign up for any of those with the links i share follow ellie short at instagram what's next for you Wow. Great question. I've actually been spending the last month really reflecting on that. It's it's interesting that we're doing this podcast at this time. The last month has been a remarkably introspective time for me to actually figure out just that. Um, I did take, I did pump the brakes a little bit on Whole Happy this past year by setting up Marta Cafe. Um, so a big thing that I'm doing right now is just re- reviving that business, um, letting it find its space again, but also keeping an open mind to what that space might be, um, what I might inhabit in that space. I think what's next with Whole Happy is um, doing what we talked about before and and establishing more content, finding a way to capitalize on that a bit more from a business standpoint, um, maybe creating more um, online opportunities for my clientele, whether that's little group sessions online for people or one-on-one programs. Um, I have so many um, followers that are not in Victoria. And while I love working with people face-to-face, I do want to create more opportunities for people to work with me um, and to uh, receive my information abroad. Because I think that creating that connectivity and shrinking the space a little bit, that huge, vast space that's out there um, would be really important to me. What's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Well, I have my website, wholehappy.com. So they can always reach out to me there. I have a contact page um, 
linked in there. Um, like I said, I'm very active on Instagram. So anytime somebody messages me there, I, I will get back to you right away. Um, those are, those are probably the best ways to get in touch with me. Um, or simply just by email, hello at wholehappy.com. I really appreciate you coming and doing this. Is there any parting, any parting words or advice that you want to give before we sign off? My parting words are only that Pacific Rhythm College is incredible and working um, in small capacities with you guys over the last few years has been such a great joy and honor for me. It is just a, an amazing space of learning and sharing and community. And if I could turn back the hands of time, I would definitely have done the, I love the program I did, but I would have definitely looked into um, your program. The nutrition program at Pacific Rim College looks absolutely remarkable. And I haven't done it myself personally, but having worked with your students in the cooking class environments and getting to know your instructors a bit better, I would recommend it to anybody considering doing a, a holistic nutrition program. Thank you so much. That is so kind of you to say and greatly appreciated. Well, again, thank you, Ellie. I really enjoyed this and good luck with all of your amazing pursuits. You are bringing so much depth to the community and to the individuals who you're working with. Nutrition is such an amazing avenue to being happy as your, your business is, is trying to help people find. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Ellie Short. If you are looking to explore the study of holistic nutrition, check out the renowned School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College. With a four-month certificate program and North America's most comprehensive diploma program, PRC continues to set industry standards in holistic nutrition. We also offer many nutrition workshops, including two coming up very soon. Nutritional Considerations for Athletes with Andrea Hayes and Rejuvenate Your Brain Naturally with Robert Rogers, who is interviewed in the episode immediately previous to this one. PRC also offers free holistic health consultations, even via Skype, five days a week through its student health clinic. Check out PacificRimCollege.com to learn more. If you are not in the Victoria area, PRC Online offers incredible nutrition curricula and is always adding more. Go to PacificRimCollege.online to learn more. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, celebrate your food and support your local food practitioners and producers. Oh